You are listening to the Sharp End Podcast. My name is Ashley and I'm your hostess for the show. This podcast is brought to you by the American Alpine Club and sponsored by Mammut. Designed and developed in the Swiss Alps, Mammut has been making the finest alpine equipment since the 1860s. Driven by a continuous quest for innovation, Mammut's technical clothing, footwear, climbing gear, avalanche safety, and alpine equipment are distinguished by the highest quality, functionality, and safety. They embody Swiss technology and perfection. Mammut, absolute alpine. Thank you to the Colorado Hour Bound School, Sunto, and our newest episode sponsor, Private Concepts, for the additional support. Private Concepts is focused on community and environmental initiatives. Private provides USA-made equipment, apparel, and outdoor education, including avalanche, CPR first aid training, land navigation, and rock rescue courses. Visit privalusa.com for more information. For this episode, we've partnered up to give away a two-day rock rescue course to a lucky Sharpen listener. Find out how you can win at the end of this episode. I'd like to introduce you to Brad. He was climbing at a well-known crag called Index in Washington State on a wall named The Sport Wall in August of 2009. Brad had a very unusual accident that day, but he survived. How? Well, keep listening and he'll tell you. Enjoy. Welcome, welcome to the show, Brad. Thanks so much for wanting to share your experience with me and the listeners. Um, I know I'm really excited to hear how this story unfolds, but first, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Yeah, my name is uh, Bradley Carter, but um, most people call me Chum, which is a nickname I've had since I was 18. Um, And I live in Asheville, North Carolina, and I've been rock climbing since 1990. Um, I'm a professional musician, and uh, my music has been featured in like a lot of climbing media, which you probably are aware of, like the Real Rock Tour and um, the Dirtback Diaries and Camp Four Collective. So I've I've contributed some music to a lot of climbing media over the years. Oh, right on. And how yeah. did how did you get your name Chum? Um. Got it in college, like my first semester in college. My buddy Mickey gave nicknames to everybody, and uh, I was the last one to get a nickname. And um, he was trying to find something for me, and nothing would work, nothing stuck. And one day I came in to them, to my friends watching the movie Jaws, and I was like, oh man, this is my favorite movie. And he was like, that's it, your nickname's Chum. So <laughs> it, it does have a relation to the fish bait. Gotcha. Very fun. Um, cool. So, um, yeah, let's talk about this story that you've got for me. And, um, from the very, very beginning, what happened? Where were you exactly? Absolutely. Well, I was climbing at the time I was living in Seattle, Washington, and I was climbing at index and index is a climbing area. That's about an hour East of Seattle. And, um, it's a fantastic climbing area and we were headed up, me and my partner, whose name is Boyd Fackler, we're headed up to climb one of the classic long five tens on what's called the upper town wall. So, um, the crag of index is broken up into several different 
cliffs and climbing areas and the upper town wall is is um is the biggest it's about i'm not exactly sure how tall it is at its highest point but we'll just say 500 feet or so and we're going to go up and climb the davis holland route which is an all trad sort of crack system and we went up and climbed the first pitch of that and after one pitch, my partner was not feeling so good. He wasn't so psyched. So we decided to come down and like, like he wasn't feeling good. He just didn't want to, he didn't want to go to the top. He just wasn't, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't stoked. Gotcha. And, um, and so I was like, well, dang, I, I wanted to keep climbing. And uh, I was like, well, do you mind belaying me on something? And just to the left of the Davis Holland is an area of index called the sport wall. Although it's not like a sport wall, like you would imagine the red river gorge. These are like 1980s, um, like bolted face climbs that are like, if not completely run out, they're definitely PG in, in a lot of places. But I'd always looked at that wall going up there to the upper town wall thinking, oh, wow, I wonder what those roots are all about. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just check one of them out today. Um, I'll just go up and, like, clean it off, clean off the holds and maybe come back and try to red point one of the roots. So the route directly to the left of the first pitch of the Davis Holland is a route called Calling Wolfgang. And it's a 512A, um, mostly a sport route. That was put up by um, Greg Child, notable climbing guy and, and author, and uh, Andrew DeClerc. They did a lot of early sport climbing development at Index. And um, yeah, the first bolt on this thing is probably, you know, keep in mind this was 2009, so it's been a while. My memory is a little hazy, but the first bolt is pretty far off the ground, at least 20 feet. And you have to place some pieces to get up to it. Exciting. Yeah, it, it, it is exciting. And um, <laughs> and a lot of these climbs, are, you know, these this is the first generation sport climbing in America. And back then, they definitely didn't place bolts very close together. So I knew that it was going to be kind of adventuresome to begin with. And at this point, I had been climbing for years. So just to give a little bit more background into my own experience and how it relates to my accident. Um, I started climbing in 1990 um, when sport climbing first started happening in East Tennessee, which is where I started. And then I, I definitely sport climbed, but I, I definitely got uh, deep into trad climbing. And by the time I had uh, got on this route in 2009, I had guided for almost 10 years and I did a stint on Yosemite search and rescue and I had been a participant in several bolt replacement projects. So I had a lot of experience mm -hmm. by the time I got there. I was not just like a beginner climber. So I knew that I was getting into, um, you know, a serious climb. I had not met anybody who had been up on it and it didn't have a single, you know, piece of chalk anywhere to be found. So, um, back to the uh, to the climb itself. So I started up the climb and placed a few pieces and I got up to the first bolt again which is approximately 20 feet off the ground and I clipped into the bolt and hung because I knew that I wanted to, 
to brush brush all the holds because again um, we're talking about the Pacific Northwest it rains um, six to seven months out of the year and the climbs never get done and it's a common problem at index is that you have to go back each season and and clean up the climbs before you can climb on them and I'm sure that nobody had been on this route in many many years um, just given how dirty it was so I uh I hung on the first bolt and I looked at the bolt because the hanger was a, a bit unusual. It was a Kong Bonatti hanger and it had this sort of like a um, different color to it. My memory, I think it almost had like a light aqua color to it. And I was hmm. like, that's different. So yeah. I looked at it and I looked all around it, um, you know, like look behind the hanger uh, and it looked fine. And I was hanging on it, and it seemed fine. Now, I did not yank on the bolt before I clipped into it, and this is probably my biggest mistake, and, and it is certainly going to be one of the takeaways from this podcast. So I clipped into the first bolt. It seemed fine, so I thought, okay, I'm going to continue up. Now, again, the bolts are pretty spaced out, so it was at least 10 feet to the next bolt. So I cautiously started climbing, brushing holds as I went and um, got up to the second bolt and again did the same procedure. I clipped into that bolt, um, looked at it and started brushing holds off, finding sequences, uh, thinking that I would come back and try to red point it. And now the third bolt is even more run out. It's like 15 feet or so to the next bolt. Um, so um, when I got to the third bolt, now I'm, I'm not exactly sure how far off the ground I was, but I always thought I was around 40 to 45, but other people have said that that point is around 60. So we'll just say 50 feet or so. Um, I'm not exactly sure. So now I'm clipped into the, I'm, I'm about to clip into the third bolt and, um, I'm about 50 feet off the ground. So when I got up to the third bolt, and keep in mind that this bolt is about 15 feet or so from the last one, it's it's pretty far away, I clip into the bolt, and you know how if you're on a sport climb, you, you grab the rope that goes down to your partner and you pull yourself up, then they you say take, and then they take in and you're really close to the bolt. Well, that's what I did. Clipped into the bolt and I started to pull myself up and say take and in that moment of like pulling myself up saying take ping all of a sudden the hanger broke and I and I flew away from the wall and now I'm looking at least a 30 footer at least 30 feet without rope stretch yeah exactly so I'm Uh. at least looking at 30 feet so then all of a sudden as soon as I well just to paint a picture of the fall the bolt that I'm falling towards is diagonal down and right. So I'm like looking at it as I'm like, you know, I can see it down and to the right as I'm falling towards it. But as soon as I started to, as soon as it got even like, like, um, how do I describe it? As soon as I was eye level with the bolt, just that weight, the first little impact of my weight hitting the that hanger broke that hanger as well. The second I didn't hanger. Even, the second hanger, yeah. 
So I didn't even come all the way taut onto it and it broke. It just immediately snapped. So just a little bit more force than body weight was all it took to break that one. Okay, so now you've there's two bolts broken. Correct. And at, it was at this moment that I hit the le- a ledge, like a small ledge that protruded out. And... Um, and it spun me away from the cliff, and that, and it, it knocked my hands over my head, and I'm facing away from the cliff, falling at top speed. And I thought, I had, a, I definitely can recall, I had a moment of like, okay, I'm gonna hit the ground. And no sooner than I had that thought, that I came to a stop. Literally, like six inches from the ground, like my feet were just barely above the ground. <laughs> and I was staring at my Belair because I was facing out. And his eyes were totally wide. And of course, I was in complete, you know, adrenaline shock. And I remember looking at him and just saying, well, lower me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he lowered me and it was just like, dink. And I touched the ground. And we both were just like, what the hell just happened? It happened so fast. And six inches, six inches. That is, that's terrifying. Yeah, it was terrifying. And, and to this day, I I don't know how I, I escaped uh, a worse fate. Um, I, I texted my buddy Boyd about, um, his thoughts on it and he didn't really have a lot to say. He, he said it was the closest he's still ever seen someone to dying and, you know, we both were pretty shaken up by the whole thing. And, um, but he said that he reeled in as much slack as he could. So he definitely saved, saved me. Um, Boyd has always been pretty humble about his bullying efforts that day. But, um, I think it's clear that Boyd reeled in at l- several feet of slack in the moments that the bolts broke and it kept me off the ground. Well, he had to have because, if you were up 50 feet and you fell essentially, you know, the same distance, you should have hit the ground with the rope stretch. I, 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 to this day, I don't know how, how I don't hit the ground, how I didn't hit the ground. Part of me wonders if the moment when I kind of hit that ledge slowed me enough that that's when Boyd was able to get more slack in just enough to get me off the ground. Um, and not to mention the fact that the first bolt did hold me. So somehow that bolt did not break. So I got lucky in several ways. Um, a couple guys uh, saw the fall from a climb over to the left and they were, you know, obviously they were like, holy shit, what just happened? And they rushed over and we were all just trying to piece together how, what the hell happened. And um, one of the guys had the presence of mind to like sit down dude like we need to make sure that (laughs) that you were okay because i was just flush with adrenaline my mouth was running a mile a minute fortunately the only injuries i sustained i chipped a bone in my right elbow just a little bit that anytime i would just the slightest bump would be just horrendous pain for like several months after but is that where you hit the um, ledge do you hit the ledge with your elbow yeah yeah. Well, I, I kind of just, I'm not exactly sure. It, it was so, it ha- all happened so fast. And then my left arm, um, 
basically all the flesh on the like my forearm up to my to my bicep tricep area that was just completely road rashed from hitting the ledge and um that was you know not that big a deal it was unpleasant but it wasn't anything super serious and it healed with bandages after you know after several weeks or whatever so i got off really easily um after you know we composed ourselves and um you know he bandaged me up and um we kind of packed up and hiked out of there um we got a six pack and i remember we sat and i drank i drank like three or four beers sitting by the uh skycomish river in about you know record time that was so wound (laughs) up but i immediately went home and um posted on cascadeclimbers.com uh what happened and it and not surprisingly it kind of blew up because people were like what broken bolts and um i don't know who found the hanger or how ha- nobody gave it to me but somebody got a hold of the hanger and a, a metallurgist or somebody with that sort of experience was able to deduce deduce what happened um basically what happened was the the hanger was made out of aluminum and the bolt itself was steel and over time there's a process called galvanic uh, corrosion i think and basically what what happens is, is there is some sort of an electrical process that degrades the aluminum that pulls ions or something from the metal away from the from the uh, from the aluminum to the steel or something, and it basically turned the the hanger into what looked like cardboard. So if you go to the Access Funds website, you can see a photo of the bolt. If you like, cert through their educational material on their website, and you can see what happened. Um, you can see the snapped bolt and everything. the 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 two metals combined with the super wet. Seattle winters um, combined with, you know, the the route was put up in like 1988 or 9 or something like that. So the bolt had been up there for a long time anyway. What do, what do the rest of the bolts look like on that face? Are they all sort of put up in the same time span? So they're all old? Well, that's a good question. And, you know, I haven't lived in, in Washington since uh, 2012. So I haven't been an index local since then. But I do know that um, immediately following my accident, I think Chris Henson was his name. He's an index local. He went up and he replaced all the bolts on that. Um, and I think he might have even left a few just as like an example or like maybe one or something. But there, I know that there has been a lot of rebolting efforts at index. Um, to what degree they've got all of those bolts replaced, I don't know. But again, I'm not an index local anymore, so I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's been a whole lot of rebolting efforts all all around the states. There's... Yeah, there needs to be more. As a matter of fact, we were we tried to do this podcast. When did we try to do it? A, a few days ago. Mm-hmm. And the next day, I went rock climbing at the north side of Looking Glass, and I got on a route called Whitney's Excellent Adventure, which is an 11D mixed uh, route. And I and lowering off one of the it's adjacent routes 
the first bolt is like it's not a sport climb to be you know to be clear it's it's a mixed trad climb the first bolt is about 40 feet off the ground and i thought oh well i'm lowering past this bolt i'll just clip into it pull my rope through so that it, now i'm on top rope so i did that and then i got, i got back up to the bolt and i looked up the bolt and it, the like the nut was super rusty and i was just like oh my god it's like terrifying <laughs> so i immediately down climbed and placed a couple backup pieces before I climbed past, but all the bolts on that climb were just like sketching me out, especially since this had been on my mind. But yeah, that's not a that's not a bad thing. Well, how can we get more involved with um, with clubs or groups that replace bolts? You know, that's a great question, and it's one that I'm starting to um, try to answer for myself. Um, I'm trying to climb more in general and get more involved. The Access Fund is obviously a great place to start i was checking out their website uh this week and they have a lot of great information but i think just uh if you haven't already contacting your local climbing organization there's so many um there's so many more resources available now than there used to be like for example uh, here in north carolina there's the carolina climbers coalition and just today i contacted its primary board member about replacing some of those bolts and and uh, he was totally, totally open to it. And they have the resources to provide, you know, like bolts and bolting gear. Um, but there are other organizations like uh, the Red River Gorge Climbers Coalition and the um, Southeastern Climbers Coalition, the East Tennessee Climbers Coalition. And that's just in the South. So mm-hmm. so I would say that's a good place to start. Um, it's important to remember that climbing is just a it really is a dangerous activity, and when things go wrong, they can go really wrong, really fast. Right. I mean, we 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 accept inherent risk whenever we tie into a rope. Right, and I think that we're we've seen this sport get so popular over the um, the last ten years. I mean, I see it all the time when I go to my local climbing gym, just new people coming in there and, and learning to climb. And, and maybe only one out of every 10 or or maybe 20 people will, will actually stick with it and get into climbing. But that just adds up over time. And they might not realize that, yeah, just because there's a bolt there does not mean that the thing is safe. So <laughs> always That's being so aware. true. <laughs> yeah, anytime you, you go up onto a cliff face – you you better be ready to deal with whatever's up there. That's why I like placing my own gear. I mean, it's scary. Yeah, and I mean, it is scary. It's inherently risky, and we accept that. But um, yeah, I'm glad that you're okay. Six well, inches is pretty terrifying. Yeah, it was really close. It yeah, it was a very close to a groundfall from very high. Um, and I feel lucky. I've listened to a lot of your episodes of the podcast, and a lot of people were not so lucky. So, um, yeah, climbing is dangerous and it's all fine until, until it's not. And then it's super dangerous. Well, and I think, you know, we, my, my podcast is a lot about what went wrong, but in this instance with you, Chum, I feel like, you know, a lot went right too. And I think that's worth acknowledging right now. Um, what was your partner's name again? Boyd Fackler, and he's a, he still lives in Seattle, and he's still an active. He's more of a mountaineer kind of guy. He likes to get out into the to the backcountry and slog up hills more than he is a rock climber. But um, well, I think there's yeah, something I, to be said for Boyd. It, you know, 
he's uh, a climber, a mountaineer, an alpinist, to, you know, lives in the Pacific Northwest. So I can only imagine that's like his bag. But um, he was clearly attentive. And absolutely. And, like that, and that brings up an excellent yeah. point, right? Like, don't talk at the crag while you're on belay. <laughs> you know, I mean, nobody was there to distract him. But what if he had been distracted, right? Yeah. Like in the moments where it mattered most, because it all happens in just a blink of an eye. So I think it's really important that if you're on belay, you know, no matter where you're at, if you're like at the most, you know, you're at rifle or whatever, it's important to um, stay focused on your climber and not be involved in conversations. Mm -hmm. And uh, all it takes is that one time when they're not and um, things can can go really wrong. So it's important to be as focused as you can. Mm hmm. And, and, to, and to do some research on your climbing area, like how recent, you know, was this rebolted and um, how do these hangers look? Um, am I paying attention? Um, yeah, I think just being an educated climber is going to save a lot of people's lives. Absolutely. And, um, you know, when it comes to your own, you know, knowledge of, of trusting a bolt, if you're climbing at you know, a super popular climbing area that has, um, you know, a strong local community and you're clipping bolts that are super shiny and there's a lot of chalk on the holds or whatever, you're probably on bolts that are good. But um, there's nothing wrong with ever pulling on a bolt, pulling outward on it, you know, yanking on the thing before you just blindly clip into it. Um, and make, you know, just to make sure that it's good because if I had done that, you know, before I clipped in to those, to all the bolts, if I had just yanked on them, I might've broken them just with the weight of my arm pulling on the bolt hanger. And then I would presumably wouldn't, you know, knock myself off balance. But, um, I certainly wouldn't have been so far off the ground when the third bolt failed or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, do you have any other um, lessons you want this, the listeners to walk away with? Um, yeah, maybe um, a couple of things. Obviously, get involved with your local climbing organizations. You know, donate to them. They usually um, purchase lots of bolts that go towards replacement. Um, educate yourself about how to replace and inspect and identify bolts. Um um, but some other things that you might not think about, um, like uh, l like learn to down climb, right? Like uh, say that I was up there and I yanked on one of the bolts and all of a sudden it snapped and now I'm all like, whoa. Um, now I can either just jump or, or I'm going to down climb. And I think that um, it's important it's an important skill to learn to just back off, to down climb um, in control. Mm, that's a really good and point. And you can do that at your gym. Yeah, with like autobelays. I see it all the time. People just do the autobelay and then they lower. Um, but why not practice down climbing at your local gym, you know? Because even if you're, especially if you're trad climbing, I mean, I, I've backed off so many routes over the years. Um it's so, you know, it's it's really one of your best safety tools to just start down climbing, you know, back down to safety. I will 
add in this one little tidbit. I took a uh, I took a rope management or like a lead climbing slash like rock site management class back in uh, the 90s when I was guiding more um, with Mike Vashesher. And Mike Vashesher used to uh, run Outward Bound here in North Carolina and he invented Alpine Towers and he's just like an all-around sort of outdoor badass guy, root developer and kayaker and um, really knowledgeable guy. And during the class, he he showed us a carabiner, just like a simple carabiner, like an oval or something. And he's like, all right, y'all, I want you to look at this carabiner. There's There's a flaw somewhere in the carabiner. And I want you to see if you can identify it. And if you can identify what's wrong with this carabiner, I'll give you $50. <laughs> and so we're all like, oh, man, yeah. So we're all just like looking at this beaner, you know, like flipping open the gate and like, oh, maybe, look, there's like a crack here in the pin or whatever. And so after we all like looked at this beaner, you know, for like 10 minutes a piece, he, he takes the beaner back and he's like, there's nothing wrong with this beaner, y'all. He's like, but if you're willing to like look at this beaner for $50, then you need to think about that, you know, that you're putting your life on the line with this gear. So is your life worth $50? Thanks, Chom, for being on the show. To the listeners, we've got a direct link to the Access Fund article about bolts on the Sharpen website. So if you're interested, go check it out. Also, the American Safe Climbing Association safeclimbing.org provides hardware and information on replacing old bolts for climbing areas nationwide. To date, this organization has replaced more than 14,000 old bolts. One of the most popular episodes yet of the Sharpen podcast was episode number five with Jason Haas and Brady Robinson when I talked to them about bomber anchors or ticking time bombs. So again, if you haven't heard that episode, go back to SoundCloud and check it out. Thanks so much to Mammut for being the headlining sponsor of The Sharp End. And thanks to the Colorado Hour Bound School, Sunto, and Private Concepts for being contributing sponsors. The Colorado Hour Bound School has been changing lives through challenge and discovery for more than 55 years. They offer wilderness expeditions in Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Alaska, and Ecuador. The courses range in 8 to 81 days in length for ages 12 plus and include everything from backpacking, mountaineering, canyoneering, rafting, and rock climbing. Visit cobs.org to plan your next adventure. For over 80 years, Sunto has developed the tools to help mountain athletes safely navigate new territory and train for major expeditions. From high-performance compasses to state-of-the-art GPS and altimeter watches, Sunto devices are chosen by leading alpinists worldwide for their durability, accuracy, and ease of use. Sunto watches are handcrafted in Finland, and the word Sunto comes from the Finnish word meaning direction. Learn more at Sunto.com. And now for the Privil and Sharp End giveaway. On October 15th, we will choose one lucky listener to join a Privil Rock Rescue course in Utah totally free. That's a $480 value. We've posted a photo from Brad Carter's accident at Index on the Privil and Sharpen Instagram pages. So go ahead and comment on what you learned from episode number 33 
by October 15th and we'll randomly select a winner from all of the comments. If you can't wait to learn essential rock rescue techniques, then use code SHARPEN50 at PrivalUSA.com at course checkout for $50 off of the October 4th through 7th rock rescue course. Remember, play hard and be smart. <laughs>